This is Radio Energy News. Hi, you're listening to Radio Energy. I'm Sean Gallagher. And I'm Daisy Donaghy. It's a windy Wednesday and we have the most pressing midweek news for you today. Our top stories today. This phased approach strikes, I think, a sensible balance between our desire to remove this one remaining legal measure and the common sense need for continued caution, not least for the sake of the NHS, while this wave of infection does subside. Live from Hollywood, our reporter Edgar Bildu is on site with the latest COVID updates. We also have Jessica Stark speaking with NHS correspondent Helen McArdle. The police have now concluded there was widespread criminality. The ministerial code says that ministers who knowingly mislead the House should resign. Why is he still here? Prime Minister Boris Johnson is facing more threats to his position. This comes following fines being imposed for the Downing Street Christmas parties during the 2020 winter lockdown. Find out his new stance on Scottish Tory leader Douglas Ross. When we originally began to work on this site, we thought that these were sort of 14th century individuals. Find out about recent updates on a 6th century the mains found in Cranman's car park. Hear about the origins of these unique findings and a recent surprising discovery. The number of Covid hospitalizations in Scotland has again reached record levels on the latest figures that the Scottish Government have revealed. Up to 2,383 people were in hospital on Monday with recently confirmed coronavirus, 23 more than the day before. And the transmission of the virus recently hit record levels in Scotland, with 1 in 11 Scots estimated to have the virus in the weekend in the 20th of March. We will see in a few minutes how nurses are coping with the new peaks, but first we connect with our reporter Edgar Bulldo, who is at the Scottish Parliament today, as today Nicola Sturgeon was addressing the room to talk about the latest COVID data and the remaining COVID-19 measures. Good afternoon, Edgar. Are you still there? Hello, Sean. Good afternoon. I'm still at the Parliament right now. The session just finished nearly five minutes ago. Okay, so tell us a bit about the session and what Sturgeon has announced. Are we still required to wear face masks? I'm afraid, yes, at least for a bit more. Surgeon has announced that the legal requirement to be wearing, well, wearing face masks will be lifted, but not until 18th of April, which is when she said we will probably see the cases of COVID uh, uh, falling. The only requirement to be lifted and changed to guidance next Monday is uh, on the 4th of April will be the face mask regarding uh, places of worship or while attending certain ceremonies like weddings and funerals. But the face coverings will be required still on public transport shops and other indoor settings. And then uh, something to highlight is the Prime Minister has also pointed that the levels of patients in intensive care sits right now at 26 on today's figures, which proves that vaccines are working. And she actually emphasised on the importance of such vaccines, calling the best way to protect others and invited people to get the vaccines up to date. And finally, the diamond could not be worked for Sturgeon. This morning, we learned that the Scottish Deputy First Minister John Sidney and Justice Secretary Keith Brown have tested positive today for COVID. And COVID cases in Scotland are the worst of the whole of UK, something reminded by the opposition. OK, so it seems like we'll need to be keeping our face masks on for a while. So was there any opposition at all when you were there, Edgar? What did the other parties have to say? There was opposition, and in fact, there was an overall criticism to uh, Sturgeon's administration to the point it was heated at certain uh, small moments. 
the partner, the party more openly critic with her, with no surprise, was the Conservative. Its leader, Douglas Rose, said that we should be looking at other European countries that now live with COVID as it was a simple flu. And the choice of wearing face masks should be left to individual choice and responsibility, like they did in England. And another criticism to highlight came from the Deputy leader, um, Labour leader, Jackie Billy, who has been more comprehensive with her, but she still pointed how there are some things that are not clear on the current legislation, especially regarding schools and carers. And she particularly demanded to learn from the mistakes we did in the past and keep testing a priority. Okay. Well, it seems like there's a bit of disarray there in Parliament. Um, but as far as we know, folks, we're going to have to keep the masks on for another while. So thank you very much, Edgar, for standing by and finding that out for us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. COVID-19 has been on the rise again in Scotland, with over 9,000 cases in total and over 2,000 in hospital. Following today's COVID-19 update from the First Minister, we spoke to an NHS correspondent and health expert, Helen McArdle. The actual hospital admissions data that's been published today shows the first decline in COVID hospital admissions that we're seeing since the BA2 wave took off. The thing is, obviously, we have seen masks go... um, you know, in terms of being being legally required anyway in all other parts of the UK so far. Um, and we haven't seen, you know, a, a dramatic increase in, in cases in these other parts of the UK in comparison to Scotland. So that kind of suggests that the impact that masks are having now is probably relatively marginal. Up to Christmas, they were more cautious. And I think the public will see um, you know, infection prevalence, the way it is, the, the latest figure for Scotland being um, 1 in 11, that I, I think you could be reasonably confident that a good proportion of the public would be concerned enough about that that they would voluntarily continue to wear a mask. That was NHS correspondent Helen McArdle speaking to the Radio Energy. Boris Johnson has faced a day of scrutiny during the Prime Minister's questions. This follows the Metropolitan Police issuing 20 fines to Downing Street officials for breaking Covid lockdown rules. Here's Miles Campbell with the latest. During the Prime Minister's questions today, Boris Johnson faced off against Labour Party leader Keir Starmer. The opposition raised topics such as the cost of living crisis, whilst also questioning the Prime Minister on the current controversy of Partygate. Boris Johnson was hesitant to give any detailed answer about the fines levied on Downing Street and Whitehall parties, despite receiving a grilling from Keir Starmer. Talking of parties, Prime Minister, he told the House no rules were broken in Downing Street during lockdown. The police have now concluded there was widespread criminality. The ministerial code says that ministers who knowingly mislead the House should resign. Why is he still here? However, the Prime Minister didn't have much to say on the issue in response. We do, we do at least expect some consistency from uh, this, this human weather vane. It, it, was, it was only a week or so ago where he was saying that I, I shouldn't resign. He's, he's got to make... What is, it, what is his position, Mr Speaker? Westminster's SNP leader Ian Blackford also commented on the Conservatives' Downing Street parties whilst criticising their get-together last night despite the cost-of-living crisis. Because we all know that the Tories partied during lockdown and now they're partying through the cost of living emergency. Yeah. Following the recent events of Partygate, 
We asked members of the public for their opinions on the severity of fines issued by the Met Police and their continued trust in the UK government. Well, I think given the context that we have a particular uh, horrible war happening in Ukraine at the moment, I think that uh, it's a very difficult thing to, uh, to adjudicate on. However, I believe that uh, there's a massive issue of integrity here where he's lied to the people of the UK, where he's lied to Parliament. Uh, and I think personally, once uh, we have crossed whatever line there might be to put this war into perspective and, and, and start to us uh, get the Russians to retreat, etc., then we can start looking a bit more closely at, um, at Boris Johnson having to make a decision about resignation. No trust in him no whatsoever? Trust. No trust. No. no. Just complete, no, complete, no. no, no I would never we trust know. a man with my kids, never mind <laughs> the maddest responsibilities no. for our economy. Or I wouldn't trust him. No, in that... He's broken so many promises now that I would yield no trust at all in Boris Johnson. I myself was a voter when um, we put him in power for the mayor of London and he was a fantastic mayor um, and then he showed his true colours with Brexit and he's broken promise after promise so I would say no, don't trust him with anything. Oh, if they've broken the law then appropriate action should be taken. Yeah. Um, whether that action is severe enough, that remains to the, for the police to, to determine. Um, there could be inherent corruption in the fact that they're in power and they get a more lenient sentence than someone else. Um, well, they'll never be stringent enough for my liking. Um, they broke the rules, we all played by them, and as far as I'm concerned, there should be uh, some resignations going on. Um, at the end of the day, I am very happy that he did get fined because I myself received three COVID fines. Um, so if he didn't get fined, I would have been livid about it because why, why am I getting fined and he's not when he's doing the exact same thing that he's telling me not to do? And that was Miles Campbell with today's Prime Minister questions. And now here's Olivia Nunes with the latest UK and international news. 2,700 visas have been issued to people who want to travel to the UK via the Homes for Ukraine scheme. The scheme aims to transfer refugees from Ukraine, even those with no family ties, to the UK in a safe manner. As of March 29th, the Home Office reported 59,500 applications from Ukrainians intending to immigrate to the United Kingdom. Chairman Councillor James Jameson said that one of the key concerns we're all concerned about is people presenting as homeless. During today's PMQs, Boris Johnson claimed that there are 1.3 million fewer people in absolute poverty thanks to his government. However, the surging cost of living charges and increased taxes in April mean that Britain is on track for its worst drop in living standards since the 1950s. Keir Stammer scrutinises Johnson's claims of being a tax-cutting Conservative. The highest tax burden for 70 years. For every £6 they're taking in tax rises, they're only handing £1 back. Prime Minister, is that cutting taxes or is that raising taxes? The Prime Minister has applauded Conservative MP Jamie Wills for coming out as transgender, stating that his story undoubtedly supports others. This comes only hours after Johnson made a passive-aggressive joke about gender politics at the Tory bonding dinner party on Tuesday night. The Equalities Minister Mike Freer praised Willis in the House of Commons for his enormously personal statement. I hope I speak for the whole House in sending our support. It is so important that people are free to be safe to be themselves, whoever they are and whoever they love. 
As petrol prices across the US continue to rise, Americans are looking for cheaper ways to fill their tanks, and some are even heading to Mexico. And the US state of California, which ranks amongst the highest in the nation for petrol prices, have seen an increase of 40% since January 2021. The average cost of a gallon of fuel hit $4.33, which is an increase of $1.2. Local resident of San Diego, Julio Vaquero, has said that it cost him $70 to fill up his car and he has said that he's going to start making the 20-minute trip to Mexico for cheaper petrol. The governor of Ukraine's Chernihiv region says there is no let-up in attacks by Russia, despite its pledge to reduce military activity there. Do we believe in it? Of course not, he said, adding Russia had bombarded Chernihiv all night long. Air raid sirens sounded in Kyiv in the early hours of Wednesday, hours after Russia said it would withdraw some troops from around the capital, after Russia claimed on Tuesday that they would cut back on operations within the Chernihiv region and within the capital, Kyiv. How many times have we heard about a ceasefire, the first fighter says. It's always just our side which sticks to it. The second man says the Russians haven't stuck to any agreement so far. The first time we set up a humanitarian corridor in Irpin, he tells us, they just attacked the civilian convoy. That was the UK in international news with Olivia Nunes. Still to come, we have an exclusive interview with an endometriosis patient in relation to Endometriosis Awareness Month. Our reporter investigate current complaints relating to NHS maternity wards and find out the latest local news as well as travel, weather and sport. This week marks the end of Endometriosis Awareness Month. March 2022 was used to spread awareness of the horrible long-term condition, which is endometriosis. This causes the lining of the womb to grow elsewhere in the body. Our reporter, Heather Notman, spoke with Michelle Olzik from Faith, a sufferer of endometriosis for 12 years who has had horrific symptoms. I had five children, never had any problems conceiving or anything like that. Um, and after I had my fifth child, I started to get really poorly. Um, I was in pain all the time. It wasn't just on my period. It was um, all the time throughout the month. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, cramping pain. It was crippling pain. Um, and it was really taking over my life. Bleeding was really heavy. Um, so obviously I went to the doctors and, you know, they were telling me, you know, try this, have a coil, try going the pill. So I've done all numerous type of things. Um, and it just was going on and on and they were trying things and nothing was getting better. So they suggested to go for a laparoscopy, which is a procedure where they put a camera um, in your belly button. Um, and they have a wee look around at your womb, your ovaries and whatnot to see what they could see and they found on my left ovary a tiny, tiny amount of scarring which they called endometriosis. Um, so basically, um, I didn't know what it was. I had no clue what endometriosis was. So they sort of zapped it with a laser um, to get rid of it um, and they really left me. They didn't tell me you know, much about endometriosis, what happened to me or anything. It was just, right, we've done this procedure, you've got that, bye. So I was kind of like, okay, what do I do now? So I started researching endometriosis and I come across a, group, a Facebook group for um, people that suffer it, suffer with it and um, find out more about it and I found out that 
you know, it's really common not to get a diagnosis for many years. Some women are like seven years before they, before they even get, you know, a diagnosis. So it's, it's a long time, that's the average. Um, I find out that um, what, there's a lot of misconceptions involved with endometriosis. Like, because I had children already, the gynecologist didn't look for endometriosis in the start because they thought, well, no, she's not having any trouble conceiving, so I don't think she's got that. Um, because that's one of the big misconceptions around endometriosis. I think that because you've got it, um, you can't have kids, which is completely false. I mean, some people, it does affect their fertility, and some people, you know, can't have kids with it, but there are a lot of us out there that have had children and it affects them. So I find that a lot of information like that, I got a lot of support. Um, and to be honest, I thought that I was cured because nobody ever told me that this is a disease that never goes away, that there's no cure. Michelle has spent time since her diagnosis working with Facebook groups, providing support for other women living with endometriosis every day. She aims to help them come to terms with everything they have gone through by using her own experiences. Endometriosis Awareness Month has seen a lot of activity spread over social media and YouTube. Many brands have posted information over Instagram and Facebook, such as Old Polly posting stories and Pretty Little Thing creative director Molly Mae Haig posting her endometriosis story on YouTube. The month was finished off with a virtual debate conducted last week by Endometriosis UK, all about care and treatment in Scotland, with guest speakers including Minister for Women's Health... Mary Todd. We've also been working very closely with Endometriosis UK and have funded a £15,000 project to raise awareness and to support those awaiting diagnosis. And events like this tonight are incredibly important to help to raise awareness and to provide opportunities to speak openly about women's health conditions. Mary Todd continues to speak about providing this greater awareness and greater support through education and medical environments. This is exactly the kind of support that people like Michelle are asking for in order to help them while they're suffering from this condition. That was Heather Notman with the latest on Endometriosis Awareness Month. The NHS now faces heavy scrutiny following the report on the failure of the Shrewsbury and Telford NHS Trust in maternity care. The impact is felt across the UK. We now move to Tommy Hondros reporting. Today marks a potential landmark moment as the final reports of the inquiry into the Shrewsbury maternity scandal have been released. The report looked at almost 1,600 cases that took place between 2000 and 2019 and found systemic failings in maternity care within the branch, leading to babies dying shortly after birth or left with lifelong deformities. We spoke to Hayley Matthews, one victim of these failures. It's keeping all their numbers low. You know, for them doing that, you know, cost my son his life and it's cost many others. A further case illustrates Charlotte Cheshire's experience with the neglect staff showed when identifying signs of any growing or worrying conditions. The staff, I believe, didn't pick up on the many signs that Adam had become infected with group B strep meningitis. Ultimately, the day after his birth, he was taken to neonatal intensive care where his entire body shut down. He stopped breathing. He was blue. He suffered constant seizures. The report was led by senior midwife Donna Auckenden. She was commissioned in 2016 by the then UK Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, to chair an independent review into the scandal. Her findings showed that more than 200 babies may have died due to repeated failures in care. She also claims the branch had failed to learn from their mistakes. 
We now know that this is a trust that failed to investigate, failed to learn and failed to improve. We also spoke to the communication and engagements lead from Stillborn and Neonatal Death Society, Adrian Brown, and collected his reaction to the report. So today's report is really, really a devastating moment for all the families involved. And it's really important that they get support and SANS is here to support anyone who's been affected by the death of a baby. Today's report from Don Ockerton relates specifically to Shrewsbury and Telford Hospitals NHS Trust and also contains actions that she'd like to see taken forward across England. The report itself doesn't relate to Scotland, but what is clear is that there are some universal truths in there, which is about listening to bereaved families and involving them crucially in reviews into the death of their baby and making sure that lessons are learned from those. And you know, that is something that we think is really important. And that is something that anyone working in healthcare and in maternity care, it would be a good idea to take that on board. As the maternity scandal has rocked families around the UK and fueled growing concerns of dissatisfaction within the NHS, it's clear that across the board more can be done to prevent any future scandal of this scale and morbidity. That was Tommy Hondros reporting on the NHS maternity. And now we have Callum Watt with the latest local news from the Edinburgh area. Organisers of the Edinburgh International Festival have announced that Russian acts will be dropped from this year's 75th anniversary lineup. The plug was pulled on artists and performers following the invasion of Ukraine and came around a month after the EIF cut its long-standing ties with Russian conductor Valery Gergiev, who was said to be a close friend of Vladimir Putin. The Edinburgh International Festival turned down our request for comment on the situation. Murrayfield Stadium is set to host the opener of this year's festival, with more than 2,300 different artists set to feature across the three weeks. A union representing Edinburgh sex workers has said plans which could see the capital's strip clubs shut would discriminate against women. Members of United Sex Workers are fighting against Edinburgh Council's plans which could see a cap being placed upon the number of establishments, with the union fearing job losses if they're banned. Members of the capital's regulatory committee are set to vote whether four or zero clubs will be allowed in the city on Thursday, and the council has said that no clubs should be allowed in the city centre. Danielle Warden, a legal caseworker for the union, told the Daily Record that they would launch a judicial review if the council sets the limit at zero. Hibernian defender Ryan Porteous has appeared in court accused of throwing a glass which struck a woman on the head outside a Midlothian nightclub. The 23-year-old was in the dock at Edinburgh Sheriff Court where he pleaded not guilty to the charge of assault, but offered to plead guilty to the reduced charge of culpably and recklessly throwing a glass at Ms Brett at Dalkeith Miners Club. Hibernian FC turned down our request for comment on the situation. Porteous was released on bail with one special condition, that he does not enter the Miners Club in the meantime, and will stand trial later in the year. A brand new outdoor immersive event is set to come to Edinburgh this summer with the arrival of the Nickelodeon Experience. The event will be held at Sockton Park in the west of the city and is aimed at youngsters between the ages of 2 and 14. The likes of Paw Patrol, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Baby Shark and Spongebob Squarepants will all be in attendance at the first Nickelodeon event to be held in Scotland for 10 years. Sockton Park service workers were unavailable for comment about the event but the multi-sensory experience is sure to attract large numbers to the recently renovated park. This year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival will see Lord of the Ring star, Sir Ian McKellen, appear in a production of Hamlet. 
the 82-year-old will star in a new performance concept adapted from Shakespeare's play, which will also introduce audiences to a brand new Edinburgh venue, the 400-seat Ashton Hall, St Stephen's Theatre. Our culture correspondent, Charlotte Foreman, has more. Sir Ian McKellen has performed in Edinburgh several times in his career, most famously performing in Edward II in 1969 with the Prospect Theatre Company. This is the first time since 2019 that Sir Ian McKellen has come to perform in Edinburgh, in which he performed a one-man show looking back at his career at the Edinburgh International Festival as part of his 80th birthday tour. That was Callum Watt with the local news. And here's Callum McCauley with today's sports headlines. Now, the latest sport highlights on Radio Energy. Scotland were held to a draw last night in Austria as they let slip a two-goal lead. Goals from Jack Kendry and John McGinn put Steve Clark's side 2-0 up with just over half an hour to play. However, goals in quick succession from the home side scuppered Scotland's hopes of going into the World Cup playoff matches with a win. Craig Gordon, who made a number of crucial saves in the night, had this to say. We can go back satisfied having been undefeated in the week. Um, we've kept our, our momentum going, we're, we're still looking good, um, feeling good as a, as a squad. So yeah, we, we move on to the, the next uh, round of games now and hopefully we can remain undefeated and, and try and get to a World Cup. The next challenge for the Navy Blues will come against Ukraine in the World Cup playoff semi-final in a date yet to be decided. Portugal sealed their place in the 2022 Qatar World Cup thanks to a Bruno Fernandes brace that gave them a 2-0 win over North Macedonia last night. They will be joined in Qatar by a host of nations including Poland and Senegal who have all sealed their place in the last few days. The draw for the group stage will be held on Friday in Doha. Scotland will be in pot 4 for the draw, provided they can qualify later this year. Hearts have announced that the women's side will make the transition to semi-pro status. A small group of first-team players have signed semi-pro contracts until 2023. The Jambos join Edinburgh rivals Hibs and Spartans and the three Glasgow teams in paying players. Hearts Sporting Director has revealed his long-term vision to establish a fully professional women's side. Australia have strolled into the final of the Women's Cricket World Cup after a dominating win over the West Indies. Rain induced the game to 45 overs a side, although that didn't stop the tournament favourites racking up 305 for three. The West Indies could not come close to that tally, only mustering 148 all out. Australia will now meet either England or South Africa in the final on Sunday. Cricket legend Shane Warne's memorial took place today. Family, friends and cricket stars from across the world came together to celebrate the Australian icon's life. He was widely considered as one of the greatest bowlers in cricket history and was named in Australia's greatest ever ODI team. In recognition of his ability, a statue of him bowling was erected outside the Melbourne cricket ground. His father, Keith Warren, spoke in his legacy. A family loss of a loved son, a loving brother Jason, and a devoted father to Brooke, Jackson and Summer. And the world lost a much-loved cricketing legend whose feats on and off the cricket field will go down in history. That was Callum McCauley with today's sports news. Ancient human remains discovered in 1974 in Cramond have been re-evaluated by researchers at the University of Aberdeen after isotopic data has proven that not all ancient bones were originally from Edinburgh area. The archaeological discovery suggests that the ancient Scots migrated around the country more than previously thought. Our reporter, Federica Margala, spoke to the researcher Arzor Lesser. How did your team realise uh, that the bodies that you studied uh, could lead to such an amazing discovery? 
So this is a very interesting question. Um, when we originally began to work on this site, we thought that these were sort of 14th century individuals. However, it turns out, of course, that they were 6th to 7th century uh, individuals, which was really interesting because this period is less known about. We do not really have um, written evidence that is uh, from that specific period uh, focusing on um, the people living in Scotland. So even though people would have been buried somewhere else, we can see that they actually don't really fit with the area they were buried in. Buried in. So they would have grown up somewhere entirely different. And in the case of one of the individuals, he seems to have come from the area of the Loch Lomond. There's multiple uh, potential reasons that we could think of. Uh, either, again, there could have been prior connections between different uh, groups of people, different tribes, for example. Um, so uh, that could have been one. There's also, we know that early Christianity would have started to sort of come in from uh, the westerly regions as well in southerly regions during this time period. So most likely this is, this is to do with the variety of interpersonal connections that would have potentially existed or could have been built out through travel. Um, this way. Um, so you also talked about uh, isotopic data and I've read that the analysis made by your team has shown that at least one or even two uh, of the bodies found in 1976 uh, belonged to people coming from the other side of medieval Scotland. So how were you able to reach this conclusion? Yes, so um, isotopic methods are actually really useful in these sorts of situations because they allow us to look at the individual. Uh, they all have different chemical signatures and they all get built into our tissues. So in this situation, what we did is we looked at the teeth of these people. It tells us about climate. And so by combining this information, we can kind of look at specific areas that would match, match with these signatures and we can identify these potential areas of origin. So yes, Dr. Angela Boyle did this uh, um, study on uh, these individuals recently, and she actually found a fairly high percentage of around 9% of remains that she's been looking at from that time period. So um, injury that is related to interpersonal violence. Uh, so her discovery suggests that indeed this would have been a fairly violent period. So this would tell you about a really small group of people. So there's more research being done on them. So what would be interesting to see, of course, these were nine adult individuals and there were five infants. Um, but DNA studies are being currently done to see whether or not there's some relatedness, whether they were a family group or, uh, or whether they are uh, not related. But what we can see so far is, is uh, that it is possible to uh, grew up in one area of Scotland, moved to the other one, and actually settled. Uh, uh, do these discoveries have any wider-reaching consequences uh, for how we perceive humanity in medieval times? I think uh, this shows you that it is so important to actually um, look at these remains as individuals, as individual human beings. So I feel like uh, these types of studies are really valuable in learning more about specific archaeological time periods and learning about the people and their own stories that they can have within this broader uh, historical context.
That was Federica Margiela with quite an interesting find. It is indeed. That's a very unique story, that. Um, so, yeah, perfect. Now it's time for the travel and weather. Now, the weather on Radio Energy. In today's weather, we can confirm that the sunny spell in Edinburgh is over. The Met Police have issued a yellow weather warning for Edinburgh today, with icy spells expected. Forecasters have predicted that there will be snow showers with anticipated hailstones to arrive later this evening. Travellers and commuters should be vigilant. This is Radio Energy. Travel. With snow forecast, gritters are to be out in force over the city from 5 o'clock onwards. People have been warned to take extra care on those and when travelling tonight and early Thursday due to the formed yellow ice warnings. And that's all for the show today. I'm Sean Gallagher. I'm Daisy Donaghy. Thank you for listening to the Do Energy. Bye. Bye.